When it's time to seed grass, fertilize turf, or add a pop of color to your yard, Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered with unbeatable deals on lawn and garden essentials. Find value on everything you need in-store or online at farmandfleet.com. Rough hands, dirty boots, and farming roots. It's all we know. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. I love coming on air after a Packers win. I think it means it's going to be a good day. Welcome to the Midwest Farm Report on a Tuesday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff, filling in for Farm Director Pam Yonke. The roads were a little slick this morning, but not too bad. And, you know, after the dusting we got here in Madison, it continues to snow outside now. When I left the house, it was 25 degrees, and it's going to get colder. Temperatures today are expected to be in the mid-teens. But it's not just temps we need to watch out for this week. More snow is coming, and it looks like it's going to make holiday travel pretty difficult. I've already got phone calls from my parents this week about what to expect on the roadways heading into the weekend. Every group chat I'm in is talking about the weather, and in about 15 minutes, Ag Meteorologist Stu Muck is going to walk us through the storm that is coming. Also this morning, we get to visit live with market advisor John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing in West Bend. He's going to preview what the holiday trade might entail until we hear from him again next week. Before that, we're going to see what's new with egg in the classroom in the upcoming year. And of course, stay tuned for your market update. It's all coming up. As a dairy farmer, you depend on your milk receiver pump. McFinn Technologies of Kenosha introduces the impressive Bowpeller pump. It's quieter, there's lower maintenance, as the seals last much longer than your old milk receiver pump. It offers a more powerful cleaning cycle with higher velocities, and it doesn't degrade the quality of your milk. Ask your dealer for the Bowpeller Milk Receiver Pump, patented by McFenn Technologies, an American company committed to providing a better product for the dairy industry. My name is Cameron Olson, owner of Olson Solar Energy. It seems like it never fails. I get a customer turned online and their solar is producing. And sure enough, that next month I get a text or an email from that customer or they call into the office even or even come in. They want to show us their bill and say, look, zero dollars. It's always super exciting to be able to be part of that and have that joy and excitement with a customer. Go to OlsonSolarEnergy.com and start saving. Go green, save green with Olson Solar Energy. Ever since COVID, we're not sure what's open and what's closed. Some of the restaurants have been hit especially hard around Wisconsin. Bob Bosel here at the northern end of the world's longest barn. And Stephanie, I'm sure that is an area of concern with the Restaurant Association. And Bob, whether you are in the northern end or the southern end of the world's longest barn, you don't have to look too far when you're craving something to eat, whether it's a supper club, a cafe, a sandwich shop, you name it. Wisconsin is actually a leading state in the number of restaurants per capita. I'm Stephanie Hoff from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. But another thing about Wisconsin's dining scene is that it is changing. It's changing to adapt to inflation, to consumer preferences. Wisconsin Restaurant Association's Executive Vice President Susan Quam tells me more about what the industry will look like in the coming years. First, though, she encourages us to go out to eat this holiday season because it's a critical time for restaurants. You know, especially as we lead up into the December holiday season, we definitely are, you know, restaurants uh, have an opportunity to take advantage to people wanting to get together with friends and family uh, over shared food and shared conversation. And so this is a big time. This is a big time for pretty much every restaurant operator out there, especially those who are in a sit-down restaurant situation where they can capitalize on folks who want to get together with friends 
get together and, um, you know, talk about this last year or have office holiday parties or get together with old coworkers, just all different kinds of reasons to get together for the holidays. So this is a big season for a lot of restaurant operators in Wisconsin. This is, this is traditionally when they gear up and bring in the cash flow that helps them stem over the slow time in January, February, and March when restaurant volume is definitely way down. It really was heartbreaking that restaurants, uh, the service industry, took such a hit during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we'd really been rallying behind them, wanting them to have this comeback period post-pandemic. What has that looked like? Have we seen a rebound in the restaurant industry here in Wisconsin? Um, well, I would say that we, we've made some progress, um, but we're definitely right now an industry where we have winners and losers in that whole recovery uh, aspect. Uh when I say winners, meaning they, they, they maybe receive some of the restaurant revitalization fund uh, grant money from the federal government. They have been able to do some renovations and changes and, and revamp their menus and are, and are doing a lot of things to, to meet the demand that the consumers are having. They have enough employees to keep their operating operation running at full tilt. Um, so th they're doing really well. Uh, some operators who, who really took it hard, um, especially sit-down restaurants who took it hard during the pandemic, um, who qualified for but didn't get any of the restaurant revitalization fund dollars because the feds ran out. Um, and they are still struggling to try and get on top um, of all of the increased expenses uh, that they're incurring. We're very concerned that something, you know, some of them are going to, after this holiday season and in those cold winter months, they may just say, I don't have the cash flow to pay my new, all of the bills that I incurred. Uh, my new loans and, and everything else that are out there, they just may decide to to call it quits and close. Can you share with us maybe what numbers, restaurant numbers, looked like five years ago compared to today? Or do you have any stats to compare with just mm -hmm. what's happened over the past three years or so? What we look at in Wisconsin is roughly 13, well, 13,000 uh, eating and drinking establishments, what people really would typically classify as a restaurant. Um, that's not counting some of the, the specialized locations that, say, maybe a nonprofit runs or, or, you know, something else that has to be licensed as a restaurant but isn't necessarily a traditional restaurant. Um, and that number hasn't really changed. As restaurants close, new ones open. What we're seeing, though, is that what the type of restaurants that are closing, many of which are your typical sit-down table service restaurants, they're not being replaced by new table service restaurants. They're being replaced by counter service restaurants, restaurants with drive throughs ghost kitchens where they don't even have a place to come in and sit down. They're carry-out only or delivery and carry-out only. That is what's replacing a lot of the restaurants that are closing. We're not going to see a huge influx. It used to be pre-pandemic. Uh, a table service restaurant will close for whatever reason, and a new one will take its place because there's, oh, you know, we're an entrepreneurial industry. We have everybody... You know, uh, a lot of people want to own their own restaurant and, and get into the business, especially those who have been in it a long time. And but that's not where it's happening. What we're seeing is that the table service restaurant is closing um, because they have the lowest profit margins within the industry and they're being replaced by different types of restaurants, but not the same kind. Is this market driven? Is this something that that is due to consumers or is there a different things happening in the economy that's that's driving kind of this shift? I think it is a combination of both. Um, 
Part of it is consumer German because we, while we have a pent-up demand from a lot of people who want to go out to a restaurant, especially one that has a, a, an alcohol license, enjoy some cocktails with friends and family or, you know, be, be out to watch a game or do all of the social kind of things they did pre-pandemic, we also have seen that, that a number of people, and this was growing pre-pandemic, but the number of people who actually want to eat restaurant-quality food in their home or in some other location that's not that is not inside a restaurant but yet it's food they got from a restaurant that is is still there it's not as high as obviously was during the pandemic when restaurants were forced to be closed or consumers were afraid to go out but a lot of consumers really got to like and really realized um, sometimes for, depending on the situation that there is, even though the menu prices are higher, there is some value there or it's easier there, especially if they're hosting a party or they're having friends over, they all just order from their favorite place rather than spend, you know, half a day in the kitchen cooking. So, um, and we saw a lot of restaurants, even like during this Thanksgiving period, provide a lot more meals to eat at home um, to uh, consumers who just decided they didn't want to cook anymore. Just like on the farm where our food is produced, we're starting to see more and more technology. How about at the restaurant? Maybe you've encountered those kiosks or mm -hmm. you take your order at the table. Is new technology or automation becoming more prevalent in the restaurant today? Is that another change that we're starting to see? Yes, we're definitely going to be seeing more of that. We just had our restaurant Insight Summits in Green Bay last month, and that was one of our big topics that we had as far as where innovation is coming. And in some cases, this isn't necessarily replacing an employee with a piece of machinery or a robot or something like that. It's actually enhancing uh, and bringing in equipment that streamlines either your back of the house, your kitchen area, or streamlines your front of the house area so that the employees you have um, can do their job more efficiently. And there's less running and less footsteps and, and, and other things that when you're short of staff um, that make it really hard to operate your restaurant at full capacity and and you know and be a good provide good customer service. So where where I think we're going to see here in Wisconsin is is going to be that kind of technology. There's all kinds you see all of the 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 fun stuff you, that you like to see on the internet and everything else is like Flippy, you know, the robot who flips burgers at a at a fast food place in California or something like that that they're testing. That is going to be out there and that's going to come at, at some point in some places, but Instead, what we what we're going to see here in Wisconsin is just better efficiency um, through technology, maybe through a little bit of robotics, um, but in a way that it just makes it easier on the staff that we have. We kind of touched on some of the opportunities and a little glimpse into the future of the restaurant industry. What are some of the barriers right now in our economy that maybe holding restaurants back? Well, I think we're facing the same that every small business or every business that's out there. And, you know, I'm not going to belabor. We all know that we have a, a labor shortage right now, no matter what industry you're in. Um, but inflationary costs for the restaurant industry as a whole are running twice as high as the consumer price index. So for us, um, maintaining that proper profitability when we're only running on a 3% margin before the pandemic um, and stay within menu price increases that consumers here in Wisconsin are willing to pay, which is not much. Um, we, you know, that's where the challenge is. That's the barriers right now. So that's when I said earlier, you're seeing restaurants that are coming into business are ones that have a whole lot lower employee cost to them, and they have a much 
very, very narrow menu, very small streamlined menu. They specialize in just a few items and that makes it so that they can at least uh, attack those barriers um, that our traditional restaurants here in Wisconsin, even our quick service restaurants have huge menus. Um, that makes it very hard to main, maintain profitability right now with inflationary issues. Susan Quam joining us in studio. She's the executive vice president of the Wisconsin Restaurant Association, giving us some insight into what Wisconsinites can expect from their state's dining scene in the coming years. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Stephanie Hoff. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. You would never overpay for something if you knew you could get the product for much less elsewhere, much like you wouldn't pay $6 a gallon for gas if the pump down the street was charging the fair market price of $4, would you? So why pay more than MSRP on your next Chevy truck? Bergstrom Chevrolet is a local, family-owned company that values your dollar as much as you do, so you never pay above manufacturer's suggested retail price. And Bergstrom has the inventory to fill your fleet or fix you up with a truck that's going to pull your toys. So go ahead, shop around, and compare that final cost. If the guys down the street are blowing smoke up your tailpipe, jacking up the price on their Chevy Heavy trucks, stop by Bergstrom Chevrolet where you never get charged over MSRP. Huh, nice. Hardwood floor. Or is it? Sounds like a floor. It's not squishy. That's good. Floors aren't supposed to squish. Goes wall to wall, like good floors do. And I'm walking all over it. Usually, a dead giveaway that it's a floor. But it's not a floor. This is a mattress. Charlie Heidel's for 52 days. People like Charlie are scattered all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply nearly $400,000 in bedding, furniture, clothing, and household items to people like Charlie. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in food, shelter, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. From farm to fork and everything in between, we cover it all. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. And I don't think there is any doubt that it's going to be a white Christmas um, here in Wisconsin with the snowstorm that's coming at us. And that means that travel both locally and across the upper Midwest may be a little difficult. Here to break that down for us is our egg meteorologist, Stu Muck, with our egg weather update. Uh, Stu, is it safe to say that I may not want to leave my house this weekend until maybe Saturday? Well, it depends if you like to go out in the cold and the wind and some blowing snow, because that's certainly what I expect to see. Now, we're all hearing about a major winter storm. We're going to have several waves of activity. One of those has already passed through, and in fact, eastern Wisconsin still seeing some snow. 
I've got a good inch or so on the deck this morning. Yeah, blowing a little bit, so there's some drifting and the like. But that snow extends from northeast Wisconsin right down into the Madison area, starting to pull a bit further east this morning. Low pressure is bringing a weak, cool front through the state. That passes off to our east. A very strong and very cold Arctic high does try to edge in. It will clear skies a bit more today and set the stage. It will cool those temperatures off considerably tonight. We stay a lot colder then as we head into the day Wednesday, but that's when the next low will pass up from the south. A system I expect moves from around Nebraska toward northern parts of Illinois as we head toward Friday. That's why a winter storm watch has been issued uh, from midnight Wednesday for La Crosse and Mauston and 6 a.m. Thursday for the rest of us all across southern Wisconsin. The winter storm watch in effect until 6 a.m. Saturday. In that time, there'll be a couple of waves of snow, something around Wednesday night into Thursday, and then maybe a little more likely later Thursday night into the day Friday. With it, of course, a lot of cold air, a lot of blowing and drifting. It does indeed look like wintry weather is going to settle in here for later in the week. And along with the cold air and the winds and the blowing and new snow, travel is going to become more difficult. We're going to have to use our best judgments about winter conditions and where we're going and what we're doing as we head into that Christmas holiday weekend. Initially, the snow chances we're seeing around may add up a little bit more tonight at La Crosse and Mauston. I think a lot lesser for the rest of us, but we'll watch how this system behaves heading towards southern Wisconsin as we head toward the end of the week. I'll have forecast details right after this. On our Farmers Union Minute this morning, Rick Adamski, Director of Government Relations with the Wisconsin Farmers Union, talks about the relationship between federal milk marketing order reform and the Dairy Together program. I think they uh, complement each other. I think the dairy revitalization plan complements some of the federal milk market order reforms that are being raised. The dairy revitalization plan is encompassing of the varied quota systems that are piecemeal in place today by very many different cooperatives and processing firms handling milk, and it's a uh, mixed bag of results. Some dairy farmers are benefiting, some are not. Some are at gross disadvantages because of the piecemeal nature of the quota systems that are in place, and we think that the revitalization plan of uniform growth management plan would be very beneficial to stabilize and stem the t- loss of many dairy farms across the country. Rick Adamski on our Wisconsin Farmers Union Minute. And Stu, as you pointed out, it's not just what's to come that we'll need to watch out for, but it's the weather that's happening right now. Roads may be a little slick, drifting, as you mentioned. And then, of course, you know, there's snowfall in other areas of the state. We got a report from Stan in Green Bay with one inch of snow. And, of course, you know, we're always welcome to... Uh, We want to hear how much snow you've got, so just send us a text at 877-301-FARM. But, Stu, what else do you have for us in the forecast? All right, well, I did see Iola, too, up in central Wisconsin, 2.6 inches in the last 24 hours. Today we have to talk about some snow in the east, of course, and cloudy skies, some clearing from west to east during the day, but temperatures are definitely going to fall, falling down in the very low teens or below, especially in western Wisconsin. Northwest winds about 5 to 10. Partly cloudy, colder, down towards zero or even below, especially in western and central Wisconsin. Northwest winds become a bit variable northerly at about 5. There's that winter storm watch in effect from midnight Wednesday night until 6 
6, until uh, 6 a.m. Saturday at Lacrosse, 6 a.m. Thursday until 6 a.m. Saturday for the rest of us. Mostly cloudy Wednesday, and that's where some snow develops late in the day in the west. Temperatures may rise a little. Low 20s if we're lucky or upper teens more likely with winds becoming more southeast. And then some snow Wednesday night into Thursday. Could be some 2 to 4 inches into Thursday. Lacrosse and Boston, an inch or two elsewhere. Temperatures dropping to the low teens or below that as we head to Thursday, Stephanie. Northwest winds 10 to 20, gusting to 30. And then some more snow around Thursday night into the day Friday. Wind gusts up to 40 and 45 miles per hour on Friday. Really going to put the chill in you, so be sure to bundle up. Yes, bundle up, stay safe, and we'll catch you back here tomorrow. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. While you spent a lot more time around your home the last couple of years, you may have noticed a few things you'd like to have spruced up. Sign up for W.E. Davies Handyman Membership, and they'll help you stay ahead of the maintenance and repairs with a professional result. Boycott putting things off. W.E. Davies & Sons Remodeling brings a fresh perspective to your building project. We're a local family business with services from handyman fixes to living space upgrades. For stunning, transformative results, visit wedaviesremodeling.com. That squeal you're hearing while you come to a stop? That's your brakes crying for help. At Tom's Auto Center, we offer five-star brake repair on all makes and models. Stop by for a brake fluid and brake inspection. If your brakes are talking to you or screaming for help, we'll diagnose it and give you a written estimate. We want you to be able to trust your brakes. Tom's Auto Center. Off Highway 51 in McFarland, a stone's throw from McDonald's. How is it that we can have smokers' lines without ever smoking? A skincare minute with skincare expert Michelle Neeson. Smokers or lip lines can occur not only because of smoking, but other factors, such as talking, drinking from a straw, genetics, and age related fat loss. The most simple and effective treatment for this problem is a combination of dermal fillers such as Juvederm, which can smooth and fill those fine lines as well as hydrate the lips. Also, a neuromodulator such as Botox can be used in small amounts to relax those pursing muscles. At Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie, this treatment results in a natural, more youthful appearance of the mouth and often lasts a year or longer. Let your natural beauty shine through. Visit us at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. Sometimes people think we're the bathroom remodeling place that just covers up your old stuff. It's how Rebath got its start 40 years ago. But just as technology has improved since dial phones, we've grown to become a total bathroom remodeling company. Free in-home consultation, free custom design, an affordable new bath in just days, not weeks. Visit our showroom on Stoughton Road or Rebath.com. Rebath, making it easy to love your bath. 
when it comes to custom jewelry. Get to know your Denny's jeweler. The way Denny's works custom is based on emotions and it's based on the clients, what they are feeling and wanting and looking for. And eventually it evolves into this piece of art. I'm Nick Denny. Come meet the entire Denny's family at Denny's Jewelers. the same size, you do the same workout, yet her butt is high and tight. And let's face it, she's smoking hot. While you're just another sweaty Betty, what you don't know is while you're putting in extra time grunting it out at the gym, she is relaxing poolside. And why? Because she comes to Carbon World Health for FDA-approved M-Sculpt treatments. Her butt is a work of art because this technology is state-of-the-art. CarbonWorldHealth.com Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. But there's three guys left that I had on my list Friday morning that are still out there that I would really love the Milwaukee Brewers to still sign. Number one on my list has to be Brandon Drury. Remember last year, he was one of the guys I actually named at the All-Star break that I would like to see the Milwaukee Brewers trade for. Unfortunately, the Brewers weren't buyers. They were sellers. We all know how that played out. But yeah, Brandon Drury is a guy that can play first. He can play third. He can play second base and he can DH. He was with the Reds for half of the season last year, had a really good big season, traded to the Padres for the uh, playoff push. I think he fits really well with the Brewers because he's versatile, because he can play all of those different positions. And right now, as is the Milwaukee Brewers, you're probably looking at a second base being Bryce Terang, who's never played in the big leagues, but he's chomping at the bit in AAA. How long has he been in AAA for now? uh, About a year and a half. He he's it feels Seems like he's like been forever. around forever because they drafted him out of high school at seventeen. Okay, God, and now he's twenty, just forever. Yeah, now he's twenty two, turning twenty three. So he's been in the minor leagues five six years, but you got to remember he was straight out of high school. Yeah. Now, him and Luis Arias are probably your top guys at second and third. But remember, you still have Mike Brasso. You just traded for Owen Miller. Those are two guys that could work in at second and third as well as first base too. So I I like the versatility, but I like that he's a power bat. He's got pop where he could hit, say, 25, 30 home runs if he played every day for the Brewers in American Family Field. I think that's a good fit. And again, a guy was interested in last uh, trade deadline. My second pick that I like is actually Will with one L, Myers. And the reason why I like Will Will Myers, former San Diego Padre, uh, you know, former... 
Tampa Bay Ray. He's a guy that can play corner outfield. He's an average outfielder, but he also brings uh, some pop to his bat. He can play first base, gives you some versatility. And the final guy that I actually was interested in the Milwaukee Brewers signing, he was also somewhat linked to the Brewers' last trade deadline. That's Trey Mancini. Remember him? He was a uh, former Baltimore, longtime Baltimore Oriole. He can play corner outfield. He can play first base. He's a little versatile guy with a little bit of pop. Mm -hmm. He was traded at the deadline, not to Milwaukee, obviously, but to the Houston Astros. He kind of struggled down the stretch. But I think all three of those guys would be valuable bats for this Milwaukee Brewers team that also brings some versatility to the the offense, especially when we know the Brewers love to be very versatile. If they can bring in a player that can play three positions, that goes a long way. Cheap and versatile. And I think those three are all three guys that if you sign to a – and this is the other thing. I'm only looking to sign these guys to one- or two-year deals, so you're probably going to have to elevate how much you pay them because a lot of them are looking for the four-, five-, six-year deals, especially with uh, how old all these guys are. All of these guys are right around uh, 31 to 29 years old, so they're all kind of in that middle part of their career where it's like they're looking to cash in on one big contract if they can. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily out there for all of these guys, but a little bit of an elevated uh, one or two year deal, I could see it, and I think all three of these guys are should be pegged anywhere from ten to fifteen million per year. So if they could sign one of them, I think it would go a long way building this offense and giving it a little bit more pop. I don't think the Brewers, the Brewers make do. any moves when it comes to the starting <laughs> rotation. The rotation is pretty set. It's basically you think they make any moves at all? Yeah, I, I I really do think they do. They're gonna they're gonna bring in. See, the given is they're gonna bring in some major league level relief pitching. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if you see one to three relief pitchers brought in, guys that have been in the big leagues, had some decent seasons, but they're kind of the projects. They're the projects that the the Milwaukee Brewers always seem to bring in under David Stearns, and they always seem to pitch well or at least get some uh, sure. serviceable arms to go in that bullpen so I do think we see that I don't know if we actually see uh, a signing on the position side I would like Drury Myers or Mancini but I don't know if they'll actually pull that trigger and I don't think they mess with the rotation at all unless unless they traded Burns or they traded Woodruff then maybe they would go out and look at that market but the starting pitching market has been pretty picked over with the guys that were really good, solid, and decent, yeah. and they've been paid a lot of money, a, a lot money. more money yeah. than the Brewers are willing to pay. So I think well, the, safe, <laughs> the safest thing, in, in to, to keep it short. Roses are red, violets are blue, and you bet she'll be talking farming with you. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome back on a Tuesday morning. I'm Stephanie Hoff filling in for Farm Director Pam Yankee. I hope you've got a hat and gloves on to handle the temperatures on the farm this morning and later this week. You know, I'm also always thinking about the kiddos waiting for the school bus in the morning and hoping they've got enough gear on to brave the cold. I really don't miss those days at all, except when I hear about some of the new ways that they're engaging students in the classroom. Coming soon in 2023, Wisconsin's Egg in the Classroom program is going to have new material for teachers to use focused on specialty crops. Think potatoes, cranberries, canned veggies, all grown here in Wisconsin. 
The program got a federal grant to bring this new curriculum to schools. Wisconsin Farm Bureau's Egg in the Classroom coordinator Beth Schaefer tells me just how much money they got for this project, and she explains what the new classroom material is going to look like. So we collaborated with the Alice and Dairyland program out of the Department of Trade, Agriculture and Consumer Protection on the specialty crops block grant. And holistically, the Alice program is taking the lead on this, but we get to be part of about a $24,000 section of grant dollars to develop specialty crop curriculum that Alice and Dairyland will take into classrooms, but we will also be able to offer to Ag in the Classroom volunteers to train bring a presentation, a hands-on activity, as well as um, have it available for educators who are interested in expanding their agriculture information in that fourth and fifth grade curriculum area. When uh, will you get the money or have you yet to receive it? Has it come in yet? So one of the amazing things about DATCAP being the lead on this is they are handling the money, um, which for our program in Wisconsin, Wisconsin Ag in the Classroom, we, you are interviewing the sole uh, employee, but we have hundreds of volunteers across the state. So when it comes to um, grant dollars, uh, some of those federal grants really are intense to write as well as um, facilitate and report on. So I am so excited that we have a great partner in Allison Dairyland in the Department of Agriculture, Trade and Consumer Protection um, to help uh, administer the dollars. Um, I am responsible for the content creation so we're we've got a great presentation that's going to be a a powerpoint format that has a really cool escape wisconsin agriculture component kind of like an escape room where they're going to be doing hands-on learning activities around the senses i think i've said too much i i I better be careful what i say Um, so we are bringing our agriculture literacy expertise to this block grant using that star power of Allison Dairyland to help promote and um, get into classrooms um, and then carrying over that great information into other Ag in the Classroom programs such as our essay contests and the business called Agriculture Program. The nature of the specialty crop grant from USDA is obviously to promote specialty crops so can you tell me more about the commodities that you're featuring in this new curriculum that you're developing? It was really a challenge to pick just 10 to 15 commodities. Wisconsin is number one, or actually we're in the top 10 uh, for so many different specialty crops, including cranberries, uh, cabbage, um, snap beans for canning. I mean, we can just go on and on. Um, That it it really, we we started by looking at Wisconsin's kind of that top 15 and then we said holy cow there's too many and we really um uh reined it into like the top 13 or 15. we also looked at the regions of wisconsin because we want to uh, help support the learning standards in social studies fourth and fifth grade uh, to learn about the different geography around wisconsin as well as map reading um, and even looking at things like topography why is it that 
Um, most of our corn and soybeans are grown in that southeastern, northeastern pocket instead of the rolling coolies on the western region uh, side of the state. So thinking about where our food comes from based on what our land looks like is, is a way that we can connect agriculture to what students are learning about Wisconsin in fourth grade. Um, so that's a little bit of the, the specialty sauce of, of what went into figuring out what to include. Um, but uh, you and I spoke off air that we're going to be able to take some of the other commodities that are are definitely major drivers. We are, we are not sidelining dairy. We are not sidelining, um, you know, corn and things like that because those are really important to understand as well um, and how they integrate and work into our food system. And, and honestly, when you're in Wisconsin, it's just they're all specialties. Uh, but we do have to follow the rules from USDA and uh, incorporate uh, their listing of a specialty crop. When will this curriculum get into schools? So we are doing a soft launch with Allison Dairyland beginning in January. We're going to seek um, educator feedback, student feedback, really polish up the lesson and the resources so that um, the end of spring when we're, we're all getting into classrooms, we'll be really able to, to push it. Um, but the real big launch is going to happen uh, this summer leading into school year 2022-2023. Beth Schaefer is Wisconsin's Egg in the Classroom coordinator. Fourth graders across the state will be learning all about Wisconsin's specialty crops in the coming year. Again, that soft launch is happening with Allison Dairyland next month. Stay tuned for Markets and John Heinberg coming up. When you need accurate insights to make informed decisions on your dairy, you need Affy Milk. With Affy Milk, you can know what's happening with your cows, when there's a problem, and when used with Affy Farm herd management software, they can even help identify what the problem is, which helps you manage it quicker. From analyzing components to finding sick cows, rely on Affy Milk solutions to help you increase performance and profitability. Learn more at affymilk.com. China has recently ended some of its most severe restrictions and a move away from the country's zero COVID policy. The moves should open new opportunities for U.S. red meat as restaurant and food retail eventually rebound. Joel Hager, U.S. Meat Export Federation vice president for the Asia Pacific, says it will initially be a bumpy ride as COVID moves through the country. What is interesting about this whole thing is that this dismantling has taken place at a time of um, a huge uh, new surge in COVID cases. And I think everyone was kind of expecting that because of this naive immunity that the population had, a very small percentage of the population have had COVID. So this is their first real wave. So overall, the direction is positive, but it's gonna be bumpy over the next couple of months. We can already see that in cities like Beijing and Guangzhou, probably within a couple of weeks, they will have hit a peak. And so how this plays out to the economy is, is still very difficult to predict. One factor that probably will supercharge the wave is the vast internal population movements that happened before the Chinese New Year. Again, that's Joel Hager, the U.S. Meat Export Federation's vice president for the Asia-Pacific region. Also happening this week, Consumers Cooperative is buying Alcivia's 16 convenience stores across the state, otherwise known as C-Stores. The closing date of the transaction will be announced soon. Alcivia President and CEO Jim Dell says this is going to improve operational efficiencies. It's also going to allow Alcivia to focus on investing dollars to grow the cooperative services. 
On the other side of things, Consumer Cooperative CEO and General Manager Eric Cantwell says buying the stores will help them grow their successful retail sector. And now we'll take a look at our commodity markets from Chicago. Cash corn is trading at 648. That's up three quarters of a cent. New crop corn is down three quarters of a cent at 594 and a half. Cash beans are up four pennies at 1464 and three quarters. New crop soybeans are trading unchanged at 1381. Cash wheat is up three quarters of a cent at 749 and a quarter. And new crop wheat is up a half a penny at 762 and a half. Taking a look at fluid milk, the January Class 3 milk contract is trading at 1907 a hundredweight, unchanged. February milk is down 20 cents at 1887. On the close yesterday, barrel cheese was at $1.73 and a half, down a half a cent. The 40 pound block cheese closed up two and a quarter cents at $2. And AA butter fell 15 and a half cents at $2.70. We're aware at Midwest Farm Report that balancing the different aspects of farming can be stressful, but AgriBility of Wisconsin wants to help you continue to farm on successfully. And you can join AgriBility at Carl F. Stotts and Sons on Highway 19 in Wanakee on January 14th for their first annual Farm On event. Farm Director Pam Yankee will kick off the event at 10 a.m., and then you can look forward to a farm resources open house and a chance to win Reba tickets. You can, of course, get more information at MidwestFarmReport.com. If you're looking to borrow money for a project on the farm, don't overlook your local farm service agency office. Tom Brandt is the farm loan chief for Wisconsin FSA. He says FSA can help you find a desirable rate, and there's a lot of options available for producers. So through FSA, we have both direct and guaranteed loans. Direct loans, you would work with one of the FSA loan officers, uh, whether that's for operating purposes, purchasing cattle, machinery, or, or on the real estate end. So a lot of different opportunities there. And interest rates, yes, they are up, but ours are very competitive and actually you know, less than what you're going to get at, with a conventional lender. And then on the guaranteed loans, uh, you're still working with your normal lender, but maybe because of the interest risk, they look to FSA for a guarantee that allows them to maybe reduce that for the farmer. Again, that's Tom Brandt, the Farm Loan Chief for Wisconsin Farm Service Agency. Hey, stay tuned because we'll be visiting with John Heinberg next. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. There goes Pam Yonke across Wisconsin in her suburban truck. Thanks to our equipment. Check out the affordable, efficient, versatile tractor line at our equipment and ask for Mr. Versatile, Chunk Gill. And from the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, promoting Wisconsin's world-class dairy products since 1983. Look for their proudly Wisconsin badge on dairy products. Keep up with Pam at fabulousfarmbabe.net on Facebook and Twitter. Not only is William Thomas Custom Jewelry known for creating unique pieces, they're unique in their approach. They actually encourage you to shop around at other jewelry stores first. You'll quickly realize that William Thomas is no doubt your forever jewelry resource. Experience William Thomas Custom Jewelry. They'll help you create a one-of-a-kind piece that you'll be proud to wear from day one. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration, your custom jeweler. You know who tells a great story? Our Tom's Auto Center customers, like Blake, who recently gave us a five-star review. It reads, I appreciated the emailed estimate and text message communication about the repairs. Thanks, Blake. Schedule your appointment. 
tomsautocenter.com. We'll make sure you get five-star service. Tom's Auto Center. We're the getter, fix, getter, done to get you going, guys. Off Highway 51 in McFarland, a stone's throw from McDonald's. Rebath started decades ago by two gentlemen who created acrylic forms to cover existing bathtubs. Today, Rebath is a complete bath remodeling company. We replace existing fixtures and totally upgrade your bathroom. Free in-home consultation, free custom design, an affordable new bath in just days, not weeks. Visit our showroom on Stoughton Road or Rebath.com. Rebath, making it easy to love your bath. From her mouth to the field's ears, this is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. You know, the holidays are supposed to be a time to slow down, take a break, enjoy time with family. But if we look at what's happening at the Chicago Board of Trade, commodity prices don't always follow the rules. Market advisor John Heinberg is along with us from Total Farm Marketing in West Bend. And John, before we went live, uh, you were explaining to me that the holiday trade can be pretty difficult to gauge. Can you tell me why that is? Well, we're getting to the end of the year here, and a lot of times we're seeing a lot of the activity slow down in terms of the amount of vol- people involved in the trades. The What we call the volume is very, very light, and that opens the market up to some pretty wild swings sometimes just because there's just not enough people to step in front of a market move one way or another. So, again, a lot of times we just see a lot of choppy and volatile trade in this window. You know, and now with a market that is so headline-driven the way we are with things uh, on a daily basis, it just kind of leaves it feeling a little bit nervous that things could really flop around one way or another. It could go up or down very quickly just based on any news that comes out there just because of the lack of players involved in the marketplace as they kind of close up their books for the end of the year. And let's talk about some of those factors moving markets into the next week. And we can start with soybeans, John. You know, while we here in the upper Midwest are under a blanket of snow or will be (laughs) um, this weekend, it's the height of summer down in South America. How is their growing season shaping today's marketplace? You know, that's been the big focus of the soybean market is what's going on between those two countries in Brazil or in in South America, excuse me, Brazil and Argentina. Argentina has been the early focus here, and that's what's given us our rally off the off the harvest lows is the dry weather and high temperatures that continue to affect that crop in that region. Now, Argentina is the world's largest exporter of soybean meal. And when they start having issues in terms of their soybean production, we usually see it reflected in the soybean meal market, which has exploded strongly higher here. You know, a couple of weeks ago, it's given back some of those gains the last week. You know, but again, it's put some lift into the soybean market. Now, it's kind of interesting soybean market. You go look at the March contract that's out there. Realistically, since the March contact kind of broke apart back in June, we've had we've only made it through $15 one time since that time window, but we've traded over 20 plus times in the $14.75 to $15 spot. So it kind of tells you where the resistance is. Is this market just can't seem to get through that window? So maybe it's an area we get some good value for producers up here. $14.66 today for those March beans. You know, it might be an area that if you got some beans to sell, you want to take a look at those uh, opportunities and then find a way to keep things open in case. The weather doesn't improve. So weather, a key driver for soybeans right now, but what's going to be moving corn? Is it the same story or are we looking at a different situation? 
the Argentine corn crop, you know, obviously will be limited too. at the same time. Again, we're expecting to see some drops in that crop. It does come into place a little bit in that regard. Biggest thing we're really watching in the corn market right now is what's going on on the export side and the demand. We just got the USDA report here a week or so ago. Saw the USDA take 75 million bushels off the export target for the year. We're watching the export pace. It's currently way behind where we need to be for this time frame. Some of that's probably tied to the fact that corn's trading around 650 a bushel and, and importers are just kind of buying what we call hand to mouth. In other words, buying what they need. We don't have a lot of sales on the books. I do think that's going to start opening up here. We saw a corn sale yesterday. U.S. corn starting to get a little more competitive with global prices since we had this little bit of price pullback here. And at the same time, some of those other importers we're competing with are starting to tighten their supplies. So don't be shocked if we start seeing the corn export numbers pick up. And we really need to see that here in terms of getting these bushels moved or we could see something way heavily on prices as we move further into the spring. During the first half of the show, you know, when we were talking with our ag meteorologist, a lot of the focus right now is on the winter storm coming and really impeding holiday travel in Wisconsin especially. But it's not just your holiday plans that may be impacted. You're also looking at how that's going to move the livestock markets or should I say not move livestock. Strong winter storms, cold temperatures are things that cattle and hog producers just do not want to have to deal with when it comes to keeping their animals healthy, keeping animals growing at a, at a strong pace. You know, we watch the weight gains in this issue, situation here. We may not see that gain than we normally see in the marketplace. You know, and then sometimes cash markets can be reflective of that. Again, we're not getting the product to the packer that we want to, A, because of the size of the animal is not where we need it to be, and B, just because of logistics with the weather. You know, so that could be something that gives us just a little bit of a temporary pop as they're trying to encourage producers to move animals out. You know, the biggest thing, though, it just takes a lot of energy to keep those animals healthy and survive through those types of storms. And that's just something that plays in the marketplace overall. And we could see a little push in the cattle, maybe the hog market the next week or so, trying to handle, you know, what the storm could put out there for them. You know, I know we're at the end of the year here, but are there any other reports or are you watching anything from USDA uh, that could be a market mover as we get into the new year? Well, the biggest one we got right in front of us right now is actually the in the livestock sector. We got uh, the cattle on feed report this week. We expect to see cattle numbers continue to tighten. Placement numbers continue to tighten as this cattle supply is just not out there. And we got the quarterly hogs and pigs report coming out also on Friday. We're really going to be watching to see if there's any any expansion whatsoever. I don't think there will be. And it's going to reflect that we're going to have a pretty tight animal supply. I get definitely going into this middle of 2023 and later. You know, and we're seeing that reflected in the prices with $106.7 hogs, and then we got cattle pushing a 160 level out there as this market's anticipating the animal supply is just not going to be there. You're talking all animal supply, not just beef. Yeah, it's going to be a combination of both hogs as well as as the cattle on feed numbers that are there because, you know, the high prices, the difficult profit margins that these producers have gone through, the weather conditions in the cattle market have just really tightened up the cow supply as well as we, we've lost that expansion in the hog industry. You know, if folks have questions for you, John, either ahead of the holidays or if you've got a window, you know, in between Christmas and New Year's, what's the best way to reach you and when's the best time to get a hold of you? Sure, I love chatting with them anytime. I'm always usually at my desk during, during this time of the year. Give me a call at 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh at totalfarmmarketing.com. Don't forget about that website of ours, totalfarmmarketing.com. You know, make it maybe a New Year's resolution just to reach out and look at what tools are available to you on the marketing front. That's right. Well, thank you so much, John, and we'll catch you again next week. Merry Christmas. Sounds good. Have a great Christmas.